As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we help celebrate Women's History Month with one of my good friends in the newspaper business. She is a fantastic sports columnist from Newsday in New York. And does she ever have some stories? But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene, for introing us in. Barbara Barker has been with Newsday for more than 25 years. She worked her way up the chain as a general assignment reporter, then an NBA columnist, a features writer, before reaching her current position as, shoot, Newsday's sports columnist. Welcome, Barb. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Hey, Mikey. So glad to see you. <laughs> Barb is one of those few people who are allowed to call me Mikey. Well, <laughs> anybody is if they really want to be affectionate. And uh, Because we go back not only um, having covered the Knicks, but I, w- I would say, and I don't want to get carried away, I would say we, we've formed beyond like the, the I'm close to someone in the biz, we've formed a, a fairly of fairly close real friendship. Would that be accurate? Oh, yeah. I mean, you came to my wedding. You came to my sister's wedding. And you're like a legend in my hometown. All right. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, people still talk about you at, at, you know, the max pool. So there you go. Well, I, I, you know, your, your hometown is, it's easy to be a legend in it because it's, it's Toledo, (laughs) Ohio. And the the only people that I know from Toledo, Ohio that have any rank at all is of course the second best um, sports writer who happens to be a woman in America, Christine Brennan and yourself. Uh, You, you hail from the same town as Christine Brennan. What it's got, shoot, it's women's history month. What is it about women sports writers from Toledo? I don't, I'll also add that Gloria Steinem is from Toledo and she blows both of us both out. But I had no idea. Yeah, she does. She really does. But she, but if you're gonna step name. if you're gonna step below her, I mean Christine Brennan and I grew up five blocks away from each other. So I mean it's pretty bizarre. And we went to the same high school. And uh I don't know. I mean, I just think I think women were into sports is part of it. You know, I mean, girls were into sports. My dad took me to sporting events. Your dad took you to sporting events, um, uh, and I got to meet your dad, by the way, uh, uh, early on. What a great guy! Um, he was he was big time lawyer, as I remember. He was a lawyer. He was yeah. He was probably I mean he, yeah. My dad was a dad was a lawyer. He worked for a firm in Chicago, but we lived in Toledo because why wouldn't you rather live in Toledo? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna turn my um, turn my phone off here because um, I'm getting all kinds of texts from. Uh, fans of the show. Uh, we're live right now. Did you know that, Barb? This isn't taped. We are live? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> it's taped. So if you so you could say shit, okay. fart, okay. fuck, whatever you want to say, it's uh we can we can bleep it out or it's actually more flavorful sometimes if we leave it in. Um <laughs> it's you know it beyond straight up it's hard to even know where to begin with you. As I mentioned in the tease, uh, March is Women's History Month. You started covering sports in the New York market more than a quarter century ago when I don't want to say women were still fairly new to the sports media culture, but there there weren't a lot of, uh, you know, I, I could count on my hand who was writing sports who happened to be um, a woman at the time. And you, I remember Kelly Whiteside, obviously Christine Brennan, our dear late friend Jennifer Fry. Um, Gwen Knapp, uh, who we're still friends with, and and maybe there were you know there were five others that I knew of. Um, there was a young woman at the Post. I can't even remember her name now. She didn't stick around that long, but um, it, it just it wasn't something that a lot of women went into. It was still it, you weren't in the Claire Smith pioneering days, but you were shortly after that. Yeah, I mean, I would say there were. In New York, when I, I started, I started at the Bergen Record in New York. So that's where I was before Newsday and I covered the Jets. And at that time, I would be in the press box. There was never, I mean, 
most of the time there was the only other women were like the stat keepers and the people working in the cafeteria. All right. Yeah. I mean, there would be maybe one PR person. There would be like one PR person, but they weren't even officially PR. They'd be like, you know, the secretary for the PR department or something. There were hardly any other women. Occasionally, um, Lisa Olson. Uh, oh yeah, who am I? Lisa Lisa Olson, yeah, yeah a legendary Lisa. sports writer, a longtime Daily News columnist for that Boston Herald. She worked in Sydney. Um, yeah, Lisa. Lisa I, I I failed. Lisa's definitely in that. Uh, yeah. So, well, her for, my first year in New York was her was the year that she had the problem with the Patriots. All right, that uh, was the first year, and I actually covered her first game back, which was. You know, oh. it, it was, it was, I'll tell you the story because it's weird. So for you. Yeah, refresh people's memory okay. because you and I know the whole Victor Kayam, right. the former owner of the Patriots. We know the Zach, Zeke Mowat, all the awful stuff. But tell people exactly why Lisa Olson um, was warped in a warped way, public enemy number one in Boston, what she was accused of doing. <laughs> So, so, so Lisa was like the backup, you know, the, the backup um, uh, writer for the Patriots. So she went in there on an off day. All right. So that meant that, you know, backup writers means you go, go there like once a week. Maybe the players don't know you that well or whatever, but you're like a regular person who's going in there. So she wasn't the beat writer and she was there one day. And, and also she's, I think she was like 26 or something, 27, um, this was one of her first jobs out of school, and she was in there, and uh, Zeke Mott exposed himself to her and said some stuff, and everybody laughed, and she, it was upsetting, and the PR guy was standing there, and he did nothing, and she walked out, and she went, and she told her boss, all right, and then it became this huge thing because the Boston Globe broke this story that, you know, the paper she was working at was upset about this, and and it just because the, most of the public didn't understand at the time the whole thing about locker rooms being open. And it does seem kind of strange when you think about it that, you know, there's women walking around naked people. And it is really kind of strange, actually. And because, like, if you cover the Supreme Court, you don't go in after a big decision and talk to the guys while they're changing their robes, right? So, I mean, it's, it's just <laughs> That's weird. a great analogy, by the way, because right. the image of Clarence Thomas, uh, Scalia, um, <laughs> and, and God bless her, Andrea K Kagan, uh, Derek. I mean, I would just be like, it would just be, yeah, I don't know. No, no, what I'm saying, it's just like, it's a weird way the sport has evolved, all right? Yeah. And so, you know, legally, and what people don't understand, it's like, if you don't have the same or didn't same access, if everyone doesn't have the same access, then you can get beat. You know what I mean? If you don't know what's going on in the locker room, you can get beat. And when I came in, the hardest part is when I came in, you know, there had been the legal precedent decided where women had sued and, you know, courts of pro, there was a Melissa Lucky versus the New York Yankees, which was in the late 70s, mm. 70s, early 80s. Uh, where they where I think it was late 70s, where they ruled that if you let, you know, you have to be the same, you know, if you let men in, you got to let women in, you know, I mean, you got to get or you can mm -hmm. close the whole thing down. But the unfortunate thing is, so this rule exists and this precedent exists, but then they leave it up for each woman to enforce this. So early in my career, even became before I came in the West Coast, you work there, I think was more was much better to women earlier than the East Coast. It was more progressive, all right? So like when I was working in LA, there were probably like four or five other women working there, all right? You know, I, um, uh, so I didn't, you know, you would run into women. It wasn't so much, I didn't really have a whole lot of trouble, you know, covering uh, Jim Herrick, the UCLA coach at the time, did not like women in the locker room. So he closed down the locker room, all right? Then occasionally he would let, you know, some guy in the locker room. And I have to say to the PR guy, you got to take that guy out. I'm a 24 year old girl and I'm having to, woman, and I'm having to like enforce this thing. Well, what re really became difficult is um, University of Southern California and Notre Dame played each other in what would have been a national championship game back then before they had, you know, it, that was just for an undefeated record. And there were 200 reporters there in the press box four women out of 200 reporters. Oh. And I had to go in the Notre Dame locker room 
And when I walked in, uh, do you remember Kelly Carter? You remember? Yes, Kelly, Kelly yes. Carter. I remember her very well. She worked for USA Today for many yeah. years. Yeah. So Kelly was one of the women, but Kelly was tall. All right. So, and I wasn't yeah. as tall and she wasn't noticed when she walked in. They didn't notice that. I mean, not, and she doesn't look like a guy or anything, but she yeah. just, you know, I, I don't know. And I'm, you know, I'm five, five, but I'm not, you know, she's like six feet tall. So when I walked in, this guy told me I couldn't be there. And I said, well, then no one else can be here because that's what I had been coached to do. And they pulled everybody out and we're all standing in this small room and the a reporter from South Bend, we're all complaining we're going to miss their deadlines, points to me and said, she's the reason we're all out here. Oh, what an asshole. Oh, oh he was a total ass. I mean, so people then fortunately, like other people, I think Chuck Culpepper was there and stood up for me above. I mean, you know, I mean, Chuck. I think he was one of the people. I'm not sure, but I think I remember his face. But then people were yelling out there. And I had the chancellor of Notre Dame wrote my wrote my sports editor a letter after that, basically calling me like a pervert, you know, I mean, for wanting to be in there and seeing naked guys. So it was really- Wait, wait, who wrote you the letter? <laughs> wrote my sports editor. Like, I think it might have been like- Oh, God. That, that, talk, about, talk about like something I would just- print on a full page i just I mean, wish what? i had it i wish i actually called him once to see if he had, he vaguely remembered it and <laughs> i'm like i'm like vaguely remember i mean it was like awful you know i mean yeah. so it was really a, it was a lot lot to keep on women I, I mean and most of the women were pretty young because that's who was breaking in it was a lot to keep on yeah you know well, when, when when lisa was it was in 1990 when yeah. it happened Sorry. I mean, and and she sues the team and the player. The players were implicated that were implicated were all fined by the NFL after its own investigation. <laughs> so, so there wasn't any question of guilt about Zeke Mowat exposing himself, which is, you know, it, it, like it's, it goes beyond sexual harassment. It's just downright workplace harassment too, because that's a workplace. But, well, the, but the, there was no, I mean, workplace harassment existed, but I mean, no one ever thought, I mean, you know, I mean, it was just bizarre. The whole well, thing. Well, and, the, and the, that was a considered a watershed moment for women in sports journalism, because like you said, a lot of, you know, while Lisa settled the civil suit, um, you know, people, the fans of the football team, the Patriots, they made threats on her life. And the so, Boston uh, Herald finally offered to transfer to Australia, where she worked for many years until she came back. But this was what this is what happened in in 1990. Like you, you fast forward years later, and you know this is a bad analogy, but somebody gets in, in a compromising situation, and you have a reality show. And and back then, you left the country when something like this happened. And so I just look had, at it, and tires slashed the first game where she had to go back. The first yeah. game after this all happened, where it came out in the newspaper. So it had probably happened two weeks ago. The Jets were playing. The Jets are the team that I covered. We're playing the Patriots. All right. My paper pulls me off. They're like, you're not writing this. We're sending someone else. You're covering her. All right. I had never met her. I went and introduced myself, and she was very nice. And she had to walk down. Um, what was this show with Ted Koppel? Remember Nightline? Nightline yep. was following her. So you had camera night. That's like you know, sixty minutes following you. Sure. So Nightline was following her and you she had to walk back. You know, Lisa's going back to the locker room after being harassed. That was the narrative. And to get there at the old, you know, this old stadium they used to play at, you had to walk down and actually go walk through the end zone to get to the, to the locker room. So I'm walking next to her in the end zone. People are pelting us with garbage. This thing falls down at my feet. I look at it. It's a blow up doll and it says, it says, it says, fuck me, I'm Lisa, written across it. Oh, God. I, of course, burst That's into so tears. I burst into tears, all right? Mm. She just keeps, I don't know, she, she just kept walking and she's like, you know, she did it. I was like, I was like crying. I was like, you know, crying, covering the story because I just didn't realize people could be so cruel. People were really, I don't know. Uh, I would just, I'd be like, you're either crying or you're, you know, you're finding a shiv to go yeah. find that person. I mean, it's so... Uh, yeah. And I want to say attitudes have changed. 
I think that was one of the first times, you know, that I remember, even though I was in the industry, that people like outside the business would be like, wait, women go in the locker room? They go in, you know, and now it's sort of an accepted thing. And and I will say the NBA has become much more progressive. They make the players put on something the pre-COVID, you know, like you. But even then, like I remember during the Knicks days, uh, you know, occasionally you would go like, hey, can you, can you just get, you know, block Anthony Mason's um, uh, ball of muscle body out of my. And of course, it was even more embarrassing for me because now I'm in front of a naked Ma- Ma- Anthony Mason putting lotion on himself. And I swear to God, he just looked like one ball of muscle. He would just one you and I'd be like, you know, and, and be like, Mace, like, I almost felt like, should I get naked to interview him? Because it was so, it was so like, he's bringing us in this intimate moment in his life. Like we're his parents and he's five. And like, we're, we're, we're sitting here talking to him and players have gotten better about it, but there's, there's always a strain of sexism. Has it got in your, in your estimation, I, I New York is a bad example because New York people are much more uh, thoughtful and liberal and well, not liberal, but well, okay, you're right. Then you got you got the old school. Are there still some old school folks that are just still they they can't get rid of this sexist bone in their body where they don't think <laughs> women should be covering sports? Um, oh, I probably have a few readers that think that, but I okay. mean, yeah. Uh, Can we name them? No, <laughs> oh, okay. but but no. For the most part, for the most part, I mean, the phone and the fact everybody has a phone has changed the world. All right, so. I mean, and the other thing is, mm. the younger generation thinks differently about their body, all right? So they're just, people aren't just sensitive the way they used to. I mean, mm. it's just like, nobody cares. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just, it's almost become a non-issue. You know Good. what I mean? But I mean, people are, I, I say that, and then I talk to younger re- reporters who have, you know, what's going on with like, you, you know, I don't know if you've been reading, but what's going on with what happened with the Mets and the Indians. I mean, younger reporters are, you know, harassed still, but I mean, it's less the locker room environment. I always just, I don't know. In New York, I never really had a problem in the locker room, but maybe I would just stand tall guys like you in front of me. Or I think I actually once asked Derek Harper if he could put on a towel and he did. And I never had a problem. I mean, people weren't, I didn't think people were purposely trying to make me feel uncomfortable. I, I never felt that really so much. Yeah. And I, I think that we, we are in a different era, um, but I am Bruce. We all, my my producer, Bruce Bernstein, he's really good about going through whoever I'm interviewing that week. And he asked, you know, and it was a thought that I would ask you, but he really brought it out there, which was, you know, what, what do you tell young kids? Like since my, I have a three-year-old daughter, she wants to be a sports writer one day, uh, if like in 15 years and she comes up to you and she's about to go into college, what do you tell her? What do you like, what advice do you give her? Or do you just, do you just think that we move past like, oh, you have to be a woman and worry about it. Oh, you mean as far as being a, whim- a woman? I don't yeah, think- being a sport, being in going into sports media. I, I think the advice I'd give about the sports media, I mean, about going to sports in general, would, the cautionary advice would have not so much to do with being a woman, but just, you know, the, you know, in general, I mean, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. In general, journalism is at a difficult stage. All right. But um, <laughs> you tell them not to go into the business. Please <laughs> well, don't. I just, spoke at, I just spoke at Fordham. All right. And I was, yeah. I was like, I was talking to a class at Fordham and I was like, okay, you want to be encouraging, but you don't want to say it's a rough business. You know, I'm thinking in my mind. Right. But right. Um, what does it say? I think, I think for women, I mean, I think the doors, in fact, Right now, I have a friend whose daughter's in high school who would she who would be incredible at this job. All right, and I I I I mean, I just think the door is more open for women than it ever has been, and it's a great it's a great profession to go into. It really is. So I, I, mean, I would say, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like when a three year old becomes, you know, at that age, but it it, it I, I think it's the. I mean, it's the best time ever for women. Yeah, to I always so like too that. You know, a, a long time ago, it was it was almost weird to be an ally. People would like look at you like, what What do you care about that? People, you know, like now it's sort of like, why aren't you, for instance, uh, the Sports Illustrated reporter in Houston, the um, the I'm trying to think, like, just think about like the people who we work with in our industry who are clearly making much more money than we ever have. But the Rachel Nichols, 
uh, Ramona Shelburne, you know, Doris Burke. I love it when Doris Burke gets attacked on social media and there's instantly a, a blowback like you son of a bitch sexist and and you don't even know she knows more about basketball um she has more about basketball in her single right pinky than you do in your own body and and it's great to see and i don't think people are just doing that to be you know enlightened human beings that look like they you know they're genuinely pissed that people go after um really skilled and smart people who happen to be women in the business i mean doris burke has so much cred with like just your average fans, especially younger fans. I mean, usually you don't see like, uh, you know, and my son, who's a 17 year old basketball fan. Chris, shout out to Chris. Who's <laughs> oh. probably still asleep right now at 1230 yeah. as a teenager. I'll tell you that. All right. <laughs> Chris had, Chris was, Chris had some game. Uh, does he still play? He does not. He actually is is playing. Well, you know, the height thing becomes important as you get older, Mike, in basketball. But he played for a long time, but he plays, he he played, well, during COVID, you know, you play the sport that's available. So he played after years of his mother not letting him play football. She's like (laughs) football, all right? That's great. So he's playing, they're having a six-week season in New York, all right, right now. They cancel it in the fall. He plays lacrosse and he plays soccer. So nice. he, he plays a lot of sports, but yeah. Yeah. But so, so he's a guy that you were saying, I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, oh no, I'm just saying, uh, no, I mean, he and all his friends, they, I mean, he's a huge basketball fan. I mean, they, they think Doris is awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, it never even occurs to them that like, you know, it, it yeah. It just never even occurs that they just think she's awesome. You know, yeah. I think, you know, part of it is she's been around their entire lives. That's all they've ever known. I mean, how long has she been an announcer? Plus, you know, they all love the NBA 2K or whatever that game is. And she's one of the announcers on it. That gave her instant cred. That's the video game. Yeah. That, that'll be what your kids are playing next. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I, yeah, if, if I ever, if I ever get to voice over an EA sports game, I'll quit. You know, my life will be made at this point. Oh, it is remade, the, 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 the thing. It, it, when I got out of school, it was like, oh, my God, can you get us? I was talking to Bob Ryan about this last week. Like, if you got a sports column job, that was that was pretty much it for you. And now if you don't have a radio show, a podcast and frequent television appearances with your writing job, you're nobody. You're nobody in the business. And um, so it's it's just it cracks me up you know, what what's accomplished now and what's not accomplished. Um, uh, I guess, you know, going back to going back to your own career, you're established now, you you write about things that you're passionate about. Um, do you still find yourself going back to those days when we covered the Knicks and going, God, how were we ever critical with how, what, if we knew what they were going to become? <laughs> we should have been like, we should have been writing puff pieces every day. But at least they were, at least they were winning 50 plus games a season and they were in contention not, and now, and obviously they're playing a little bit now, but like, it's, oh God, I just, that franchise 20, 25 years later, I can't believe it. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, if the Knicks had been good for the last 20 years, I mean, would my life have been easier? All right. That's, that's like one thing that <laughs> been easier in New York because I'd be right. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's like the same old thing over and over again, which is why you're not in New York right now. The fact that the Knicks are over 500 at the all-star break, it's like, it is so eclipses the fact that the Nets are maybe one of the, maybe the best, they are the best team in the East probably. I mean, it eclipses it because yeah. I mean, it's just an unbelievable story here. I mean. Oh, it's amazing. I, you know, one of your recent columns concerned the return of the fans to Nets games in Brooklyn. Uh, the team starts slowly with just a handful of spectators. So I'm curious, from your standpoint, so what sort of numbers we'll be looking at when the regular season resumes next week? Oh, you you mean not like attendance numbers? Yeah. Or, well, no, I mean, the reason there's only a handful of fans is that, okay, so you're limited in New York to 10%, all right? You're only allowed to, uh, yeah. so, so you're only allowed in 2,000 fans at the Garden, and they let 2,000 fans in. The Nets said, we're going to go lower and try 300 and see how it works, all right? So they limited the amount of fans. I, I don't think because of COVID you can, you can judge that. I mean, I'm judging from, like, unfortunately, traffic that my stories get, all right? So, <laughs> no, that's what I'm judging. I mean, yeah, the, no, you're right. The traffic, actually, the traffic is up. 
20 traffic is up uh, traffic is up when you're writing about what okay so a nick story on frank nilakina starting a game will outdo a net story on them you know destroying milwaukee in a game really so 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 stefan bondi one of our earlier guests and i know a person that you know he was right that it, you it's almost like people would 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 rather talk about the Knicks um than the Nets even though the Nets could wind up in the freaking finals this yeah, year. The Nets are a huge story nationally and the right. second second NBA story in New York. I love that. I love that because it just goes to show you that New Yorkers are so miserable. They would rather complain about the Knicks than celebrate the Nets. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean no I mean it is it, it is it is unbelievable. I have to like hmm. I mean, it is, I mean, the Nets, I mean, the, the, the talent that this team has is unbelievable. You know yeah. what I mean? Just, I think if things were open up and people could go, it would change, it, it would change, but it's a slow change. The other thing is the Nets aren't like any other team. I mean, you know, you've covered both teams. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of my readers are based on Long Island and that's who we care about. There's no Nets tie, Long Island tie to Nets, to the Nets, you know? So yeah. our readership loves the Knicks, but it's, it's across the board. I mean, Daily News, everyone else, the Knicks are way, there's just a way difference between the amount of people people that love both but yeah. you know I I don't I mean they're such a good team I think I mean if they go to the finals I'd like to see how much things change I mean there's the Nets are such a good team that I mean and such an interesting team yeah. I mean, they, with characters and everything else so we we knew we we used to I mean not cover him personally we might do a story on him a year but we talked to him a lot Tom Thibodeau when he was uh, assistant coach with the Knicks <laughs> What kind of impact do you think he's had on just the culture, the franchise? Uh, he's so all business. I mean, I, I mean, feel like... I hate using the word culture because that's usually what teams push when they really suck and have no plan. Right, right, right. We, right. we needed to change the culture. Right, 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 right. Which, you know, actually, right. which actually was sort of like, if you think about it, coming in at the beginning of the year, I would have yeah. said, the Knicks suck and have no players. All right. Now, I mean, who would have thought Julius Randle is an all-star. All right. I mean, he has, he has had like a hell of a year. I mean, the Knicks are, I mean, he's like a leader and everything else. How did this happen? I don't know. Like maybe he bought into Tom. Tom may be just the perfect person for this team because a, He's worked at the garden before, so he has a clear understanding of the dysfunction. All right. Yeah. Or yeah, there's a, the, 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 shark, the cesspool and the shark <laughs> tank don't affect him as right. much because he knows how to insulate himself from all the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he can do that. Second of all, the guy is always looks miserable. So how do you know <laughs> if he's miserable there, right? He always just looks like <laughs> he just he like they, they described Jeff Van Gundy like this one, somebody in the New Yorker, I can't remember, maybe it might have been David Remnick, but um the the, the but I think this is Thibodeau now, like when you see Thibodeau, you think of like an umbrellaless man waiting for the five o'clock to North Babylon in the rain. <laughs> It's to it's totally true. I mean, it's like so so he's not gonna look any more miserable now. I mean, having worked there than he did when he was, you know, with the Bulls or, oh, yeah. you know, or Minnesota. So he's I think he understood. Plus, he's just in he's a tireless worker, you yeah. know. I mean, come on, does the dude have any hobbies? Seriously. No, I still like, yeah. If you if you tried to like entertain him with a game of Xbox or um to even taking him to a movie. I'm not sure he would even understand a good restaurant where they had like they paired the wine with the food and there was like a, a different flights of uh, of, of uh, wines. I don't think he would understand it. I think he would just be like, why aren't we at why aren't we at Johnny Rockets? And I'm fueling myself and I'm going back to my film room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, I mean, he he's just he's done an incredible job. He's yeah. done an incredible job. I mean, I think so his focus on defense and what are they like? If they're not the best defensive team, they're number two. I mean, as far as you know, scoring. I mean, I think I, I think his focus on defense, especially early. First of all, we all have to admit the East is terrible. Okay, so you got to accept that. All right, the East is terrible, except for a couple. I don't. Of I, I I hate to say accept that. I there's something okay. wrong with the pendulum of power swinging with a few trades. Um, I, it, it always bothered me that. Obviously, the Western Conference has been strong forever, but 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, there's a couple it, teams at the top of the East. All right. Yeah. And then after that, not so good. All right? right. But I could see the Nets winning the title. I don't know if I could see the Bucks or the Sixers winning the title. I, I could see the Nets winning it all. I, with with the amount of talent that they have, I mean, and with no. I mean, look look at James Harden. I mean, why is oh. he in the MVP conversation? Is he in it? I, I don't even see him in it. Or maybe he's mm. inching into it. But I mean, to me, he's the MVP of that team right now. I mean, I still think KD is the single most beautiful player I've ever seen play. I love the way he plays, right? But he's so it's such an art form. Oh God, he's just beautiful. But you know, he's missed a ton of games. And um, I mean, really Harden has been the glue. I mean, he's, he's done, I mean, yeah. who would have predicted because he had such a, you know, his, you know, his reputation as a hard worker and being in shape was not exactly stellar coming here. Right. Yeah. So but maybe that just, I, I don't know. He's, he's been terrific. He's, he's been, I, I, you know, I think he should be in the MVP conversation or is inching towards it. So. It's so funny how things have changed since we were like, we were covering a team on a daily basis where, you sat closer to the court. Um, they obviously were, well, the, the media access wasn't tremendous, but it was such that if you needed to form relationships with players, you had the time to do so on the right. side. And now it's so, it, it, I guess, you know, because it's become so popular internationally and otherwise, and everybody, well, the quality media outlets haven't grown. There's just been an explosion in podcasts and everybody and their mom is trying to get a credential that has a show or a blog. And I, I look at it now and it just feels so antiseptic in a way, like homogenized. And I know that sounds bad because there's really good things about it. And I know it sounds like I'm the old guy yelling at the clouds. Oh, why isn't it like this anymore? But every time I go to a game now, I'm, I'm inundated with um, people coming up to me and going, Hey, do we know you from somewhere? No, I, they actually don't say that. But but the bottom line is, it just feels like a different environment all around. Um, all right, so here's the deal. I, um, I I can't let you. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about. Um, the, and it's I'm not humiliated by it anymore. But at the time, it was very hurtful. Can you tell people what you did to me on April Fools? You and a former Knicks. PR uh, head called Lori, named Lori Hamamoto, who I thought at the time were good friends, and I found out otherwise. Please tell people. Okay, so we were good friends, all right. But you also have to. Can I paint a picture of Mike at this time? All right. Yeah. Okay. I, you, you know what? And you can do that, and I will own every second of it because uh, I was this person, and I'm not happy about okay. it. But you know, Mike, I, I did a little great. self work. Okay, Mike, who is a great dad and great <laughs> husband, an almost normal person. I'm not really going to go there. At that time, I think this is what I always thought. I thought you were like kind of this nerdy guy or whatever. And then you came to New York and you got the job with the New York times. And it was all of a sudden they let this, like this, this nerd became Mr. Popular. All right. And, and he, he was like, pretty accurate. right. So this nerd became Mr. Popular and just got, I mean, with girls, I'm not saying you were, but then you had like some long-term girlfriend before you came here. You had like yeah. a date life. All right. You get here and all of a sudden you're like, there's girls crawling through the woodwork because working from the New York, times back then was like working for espn it was sort of like right, right, right yeah i introduced myself you know i'm i'm mike times from the new york wise right <laughs> exactly so and then he had i think you had frank isola on your show oh yeah yeah, yeah. frank yeah frank didn't tell all the tales but okay yeah. so so what you were so frank was kind of like your wingman he was the married wingman right or, yeah right? yeah he was living vicariously through me yeah he was living, i know always get the wing wrong when i'm figuring yeah. anyway so frank is always egging you on to go after girls so he can like watch what's happening all right right married and um <clears throat> you hear so, marco in the background crack what is she okay oh uh, go ahead sorry you okay right. yeah no every now and then the kids interrupt the podcast it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. um i i, I lived through that uh -huh. yeah <laughs> um uh, so anyway, so Mike, you know, would always be like, every time we'd be somewhere, he'd like, you know, be flirting with the waitress or this and that. I mean, it was just like, you know. And okay. I was a let, okay. I was a skirt chasing lech. It's okay. It's 
So anyway, uh, Lori Hamamoto, who was the only other woman that traveled, she was the right. PR person. And I, I mean, it just. It you wanted crazy. to do a payback for women in general. And you did. I mean, you just thought, you know, like you're, it just, it just fits so well. And now I don't even remember. We, you know, someday we need to both get on. Cause I don't remember whose idea it was. I think it might've been mine, but yeah. I'm not sure. I think it probably was mine, but I had to recruit her to go talk to the cheerleader. All right. Yeah. So, so, they, so, so Lori talks to a cheer, a, a Cleveland Cavaliers cheerleader at a game. She's obviously attractive blonde woman. And, um, and I don't know how I fell for this, but, um, uh, tell, yeah, tell the story. She's like dancing. She gets done with a number and I'm sitting there at the, at the press table, which we used to sit at right in the front row. And so she, and she comes running time. over after, after I'm watching her dancing and like, wow. And I don't usually watch the dancers. I'm like in my, uh, in my keypad, in my keyboard doing writing. Oh my gosh. She comes right over to me and she wait, says, wait, wait, can we just back up? I don't usually watch the dancers. There probably was some watching that took place. Bro, Bruce Bernstein writes to me in the thing. Bullshit. Yeah. You, you do watch it. Yeah, I know. Okay. You guys <laughs> called me out on that too. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, so we get this woman, very attractive blonde woman. She comes up and says I, like at halftime, and we've kind of told, I think I had told Frank by this time. Yeah. It was gone. No, I told Frank after she came. I don't, I can't. Yeah. All right. Came up and said, Are you Mike Wise from the New York Times? I read you online all the time. And this is kind of the early online stuff. This is late 90s when you were just getting the internet. And I'm yeah. going, Wow, this is not only is this woman educated, she's like fine, you know, she's she's getting my stories and she's reading them. She sounded like she she even said she read them in the print. You know, she was getting a print edition. I'm like going, how many cheerleaders? Are but, you know, I'm so gullible. I'm like, going, that's so cool. She knows who I am. Yeah, so, yeah. so she comes up and she talks to him and all this kind of stuff. And then she leaves. And then I see Frank working. Wow, you got to go talk to her after the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. And you guys are talking. And I'm like, I think I'm going to pee my pants. You know what I mean? I'm You know, I'm in hook, line and sinker at that point. <laughs> I'm well, thinking no, like, oh, this is this is. This. I didn't know you were. I thought you would just be talking about her for. I didn't know you would actually try to go speak to her afterwards. I thought it's just something you would be talking about, you know, for like months about the, the cheerleader who liked you. I didn't know that you would take it to a whole nother level. That you. Of course I did. I thought she was going to be Mrs. Wise. What you know? What do I know? <laughs> so tell you tell the part because I was. Oh, and then yeah, and then the the most yeah, and I go up to her after, and Frank and uh, the other writers, Steve Popper, and all those guys are looking at me going oh i think she's into you and i even like i went to as far as wait it is april 1st it is april fool's day there, there's something going on here now and then and literally they were so convincing and you and Lori were so convincing like that like i think she's i think she's into you, but you do what you want and then i'm thinking if these guys are giving me to go like it must be like legit and i went up to her after the game while everybody's shuttling into the locker room after a win. Everybody and I'm like, Everybody else is doing their job. Everybody else is doing their job. And I'm actually with the New York Times trying to uh, Mac on a girl. And she's and she's like with all her other cheerleader friends. And they've already dressed and they're walking out. And I'm like, hey, how are you? Uh, I don't know if you want to do something. Uh, <laughs> afterwards. So but, and she, I, I swear to God, she looked at me and it wasn't even a look of embarrassment. It was kind of like, you, like like almost like you didn't get the joke you didn't know what was going on and like she just walks away I'm like oh my god I never got ghosted like that that was awful and so at that point I'm like after I'm shattered but I'm already I'm, I regather myself I go I gotta get to the locker room Patrick Ewing's about to speak he's always the first person to speak in the Knicks and everybody's around him it's a big scrum there's got to be 30 people around him with cameras notebooks microphones and I finally you know tunnel my way into the scrum and tell them what happens. <laughs> I think it was Laurie that asked Pat. I know it was Laurie that asked Patrick. He looks up and said, hey, Mike, April Fool's. <laughs> In front of everybody. Oh, man. And I'm just like, what? Oh, my God. Ewing was in on it, too. And then everybody, just the whole media thing's busting up. Oh, because people were talking about it in the scrum before I got there. Like, oh, wait, wait, you're going to see this. is going to be great. And, and Ewing just looks up and he goes, and my April Fool's. And I mean, the whole place just went out. It was the cruelest April Fool's joke ever. And, 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 but the thing is, you were really bad. You were mad. Uh, I think because I liked her. I thought she liked me. I was a wounded human being. I was looking for a mommy. Now I've kind of got through all that self-help stuff. But the bottom line is, I did get you back 
but it wasn't as great. I um I think I was on an El Paso radio station, and um, they still call me to be on. So I they do. I still get called occasionally to be on that show by the same guys. Well, oh, that's same. hilarious. There's these El Paso radio guys. I would go on with them, and, you know. And, and I finally said, "You like no one's going to know this, but." Jews call this Parker Parker woman and tell her there's like a $200 Tower Records gift certificate. That'll tell you what year it was. Because I said tower. no, because I didn't want to be on the show, right? Right. You didn't want to be on the show. And they're telling you, oh, there's a 200 And all of a sudden you're like, oh, $200 Tower gift certificate. I did not. That was not the convincing. Well, but I'm saying you went on the show. Like you obviously didn't shut them down. They called me up and said, these guys are really great. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I was on the other line. I called on the other line as if I was just calling like, oh, yeah, you got to. And then you really, and she's going on with them. And, and then, um, and then all of a sudden, like, which actually today you probably couldn't get away with because it was so off. No, it was cringeworthy. They started it was cringeworthy. Yeah. So we got these two guys in El Paso actually going, Barb, have you ever seen a guy in it? Whoa. Have you ever like, and we're all these like, and, and she's like, Oh my God, it's creepy. And I go, and I just, finally they put me on and I'm laughing in the bathroom and you scream like Mike, you didn't, you just start yelling. It, it was hilarious. And, uh, and, the, and the, but the great part was at the end of it, the great part was, uh, okay, Barb, that was a little over the top. Um, the, the great part is when you like, there's a pause and you go, so do I still get the tower record certificate? <laughs> that was better than anything. <laughs> I, I never still did get it. I'm still waiting. Yeah, I know. I, I know. guess I'd be waiting forever. This oh God, we had, we had some good times. Yeah. Um, uh, on, a, on a serious note, five million, uh, five hundred thousand people died in this country. Uh, we're obviously at some point, uh, as the president says, going to get back to normal after we are all vaccinated. In your mind, do um, I, I can't imagine the stuff you've had to deal with. I'm glad your own family is healthy. I um, and I'm sure we probably lost somebody that we know uh, peripherally, whether it's a Siku Smith that we see at games or an editor that a lot of people don't know of that might um, trigger, but, but do fans come back by the playoffs you think, or do you think it's it, it, almost the by NBA the waits another year? By the playoffs? I think. Well, or fine. I'm sorry, the finals. You know, it's hard to predict because money is such a, you know, driving force, driving force. Do I think they should come back? No, I don't. You know, I mean, no. I, I I mean, it, well, you're talking like I'm surprised they had the all star game. Like, I, you know, I am too. I mean, this was a yeah. year not to have it. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, seriously. So I, I, I don't know how much extra money do they I guess they make money from the TV of the all star game. But I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I guess they felt they had to have it. I, I wouldn't I don't know. I wouldn't have yeah. it. Do fans come back into the arena or are fans? Yeah, do, do fans come back to the arena by the NBA finals? How many fans? You talking full arenas? Yes. Well, I guess if it's, you know, Houston, Dallas, or San Antonio. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Mississippi's <laughs> applying for a franchise. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think by the by New York standard. I mean, I don't think in the, you know, no New York we're at ten percent. Would yeah. I go in? Like I okay, I go to the Barclays Center. All right, I go to yeah. the Barclays Center. I'm tested COVID. I mean, I you know I don't go every game, but I've probably been six games, maybe five games, something. Yeah. like that. I mean, as a columnist, I feel confident about what goes on there. They, I get, I went there before fans. I've been there since there have been, you know, small amount of fans. I'm tested before I go in. I think it's, you know, you know, pretty sound. I think with, you know, limited number of fans. I mean, the other thing is like, where do you go if like once everyone has the vaccine, you know, like in Israel, yeah. in Israel, they open up sports, you know, they have um, uh, health clubs, but you need to have a vaccine card to get in. I don't see in the United States, you know, uh, you know, yeah. they don't like restaurants but force you to wear, you know, masks at some places. So I don't see that happening, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when does yeah. Broadway open up? When does all this stuff happen? When do people start coming back in? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable in a packed house. I'm not even that comfortable going to the Knicks because they make us all get in that stupid elevator, mm -hmm. you know, going up, you know, you know, multiple people. So if you told me that we were going to be out of uh you know being out of being regular human beings and citizens than the last year and possibly 
at least 18 months and maybe two years, I would have like, I don't know if I would have went to Alaska, but I would have went somewhere where um, I just got off the grid um, even more so and said, you know what, I'll, I'll wait till life gets back to normal. Because for me, I know you're a sports writer. I'm a little bit luckier because I'm working on a book now, but and I'm not I'm not doing something regular on a really daily basis. I think it, it's just, it almost have to play tricks on the mind for sports to matter in some ways. Like I, they just don't matter to me. Like they did. I obviously got into the NBA playoffs cause I'm a basketball nut, but even like the pop-up fans I'm done with, I'm so it just, uh, you know, it just I mean, the whole thing. It's, it's hard. I mean, I left sports. I mean, I wrote, I mean, for Newsday when there was no sports, yeah. I'm a pretty strong feature writer. So they pulled me out. I wrote like obits. I mean, yeah. which, devastating devastating like obits of people who are well known on long island i wrote obits i wrote a news story on i, I was in news i went to business i wrote all i mean it was i mean if i didn't like you know i would think about leaving sports just don't matter as much they really don't yeah. and, and yeah. i really enjoy I, yeah so i spent five months outside of sports helping out with other things because there were just much bigger stories on Long Island about than about whether, you know, the Islanders were going to start playing again in front of fans. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and you and you wrote an incredible intro to the piece that Newsday did on how many people had died on Long yeah. Island. That was really. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it was. You could yeah. tell, but there was a lot of emotion in it. And it was just it was, well, you have to talk to people. I talk, I probably wrote like. Five obits, and you know, when everybody, it's the same. Actually, it was the same story with everybody. Their parent was in a nursing home, almost. You know, that's mm. almost the same story, and and you know, it's just terrible. And people are, I mean, it's just it's, the devastation is, it's just you know, it's it's horrible. I think yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah. I feel very for I feel very fortunate. You know. Yeah. Well, I'll leave on a good note because, and I hate, I can't believe that I'm bringing this up, but. Um, uh, not like I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but it's the guy is so good. And yet I, like, this is why I like LeBron more than Michael. And it's not because I really got to know Michael. It's not because I really know LeBron. They probably know my face. I'm sure LeBron knows my name. You know, I'll, I'll have a conversation with him if I'm in a locker room with him and, and catch up on old times for like two minutes before he's mobbed. But it's, but it's just the whole, this, and I call it the Renaissance of social conscious among athletes, man, the guy, I, I feel like with, he's going to do greater things and he's maybe he has done greater things off the court than he even has on. He's, he's such an ambassador in so many ways. And I've never seen a guy that's 36, by the way, that can play as well as he can. Um, So I had to get, I have to give LeBron a shout out. Yeah. I mean, I come down hard on the side of LeBron versus uh, versus Michael, just from the off the court aspect of who he is. However, Hmm. I also think about this, Mike, Sometimes you look at the times and what Michael Jordan did, maybe what needed to be done for athletes at that time was to own their own image and self and become the driver of their own destiny. Mm. All right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that had to be done in order for a LeBron to exist because then LeBron was able to compile the amount of money that made him able to do other stuff. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know what, you, you make, you make a great argument for a column. Have you written that yet? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point <laughs> that, that while we, we can knock Michael for not being um, for, I guess, being more corporate than um, that having conviction off the court about certain political um ideals that he had and we could say the same thing about tiger woods that they lived in a world where in many ways they created the economic blueprint for the modern african-american athlete or the modern athlete of color in tiger's case like you you actually can can build your brand a brand that becomes bigger than almost the sport you play and and when that happens you are able to enact change politically socially and otherwise that that you know you almost I mean I guess what I'm saying is LeBron James doesn't no longer needs the NBA to be validated in society if he wants to do something well would you have thought I mean Michael Jordan owns a team would you have thought 30 years ago a player was going to amass enough money to own a team so and just no 
Being right. an African-American who owns a team in the NBA is a major accomplishment in itself. So, I mean, I just think maybe it was the times and you, the generation before it's true, you know, like Muhammad Ali and, you know, I mean, and even, you know, Kareem, Kareem yeah. has always been political. All right. I mean, I mean, and that may have hurt him over the years. Yeah. Stuff, you know, I mean, if you look, there's a good example of a guy that I think really does not get his due for his greatness all the time. You know, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I agree. Well, this has been, I uh, give me more time than I needed and asked <laughs> for. Um, I, I really like catching up with you, even if, um, uh, even if we just talk basketball or whatever, it's cool to see you. All right, Mikey, it's great to see you too. That was dope. Thanks to my guest, the great columnist from Newsday, Barbara Barker. Barbie, you're the best. Also, thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, who is also the best. Bruce, it's your big moment. Hit us with the promos. I'm so nervous, Mike, but I'll try not to mess this up. <laughs> Thank you to you and to Barb. That was a great conversation. I was Thanks. laughing my butt off while I was taking notes. It was <laughs> great. Uh, and we also want to thank our wonderful editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media. You want to shout out Kristen? Kristen, thank you. I haven't met you even in Zoom yet, but you've you, the way the, the bells and whistles you put on the songs, the way you, the way you put it together, thank you. Kristen's the best. We love Kristen. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows. Full Court with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay. They have the best in college hoop each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with fellow Newsday alum Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here every Wednesday. Last week, they welcomed Jay Adande and Mike's good friend Jack McCallum, who discussed their series of podcasts on the 2008 Olympic Redeem team led by Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Mike's other good pal, Monica McNutt and King McClure, drops on Thursday. Their next show will feature some of their favorite guests since the show began almost two years ago. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, my man Mike has a new Mike Wise show every Monday. And also, we just released a special show, part one of our two-part series with George Raveling and Wayne Embry on Dave's front office with Dave Wall, the Hall of Famers joined Dave and shared stories of their battles against discrimination and overcoming prejudice to reach the very, very top of the basketball world. And please check out our YouTube channel with dozens of great segments, including Mike's amazing unplugged interview with Lakers Governor Jeannie Buss. Just go to YouTube and search for Pure Hoops Media, Mike. Hopefully the year 2021 is when we snuff this pandemic out as quickly as possible. I know Bruce feels that way. Everybody at Pure Hoops Media feels that way. When you qualify for the vaccination, I don't care what you've heard in the past. I don't care what, uh, what aversions you might have to needles. Please do the right thing and get that vaccination. Until that day arrives, keep your guard up. Wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. Wash your hands, keep your distance, and be considerate of others. And keep all the medical professionals in your prayers. I know we say there are real heroes, but when this thing's over, man, we should have a parade for them. Till next time, peace! The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.